Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Oh, Welcome to Hardball. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9.46 p.m. With the men who saw and made that history. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Stories from the 1930s. To the 21st century. This is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch? Welcome to Hardball. My name is Chris Domino, and I appreciate you finding us today. As we continue our way through conversations with some of baseball's greatest players of all time, I want to thank all of you who have or will spread the word of our little piece of the podcast world. I hope you have subscribed and look forward to some interaction with you on social media as we move along. Pete Rose called him Herbie, the most nondescript he's just kind of their name perhaps in history. For a guy who won three MVPs and had more than 500 home runs. As a matter of fact, he was seventh on the all-time home run list when he retired. He won a World Series MVP and 10 gold gloves. He led the league in home runs eight times. He had four RBI titles, and he was a 12-time All-Star. The Sporting News Player of the Decade for the 1980s, well, that means he followed up previous winners named Stan Musial, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, and Pete Rose. And maybe an honor you didn't even know existed, but suits him as well as any accolade he had ever received, the 2019 Louisville Slugger Living Legend Award. Michael Jack Schmidt. I'll tell you when I had a chance to catch up with Mike, but let me also tell you this. He will tell you in this conversation what he thought of those 10 gold gloves, and let's just say that Mike knew that he made his money swinging that Louisville Slugger. He had all of that and a waltz into Cooperstown as a first ballot Hall of Famer garnering 96% plus as a voting percentage. And the only nickname I can find is Herbie. Pete, of course, wasn't talking about his talent. He was referring to how the man went about his baseball business. Show up, do your job, go home. Michael Jack Schmidt did just that for 18 years, 2,400 games, 10,000-plus plate appearances. And he walked away because he knew that if you can't contribute, you're hurting your team. I had a chance to catch up with Mike back in 2002, and I knew that he didn't really do many of these let's-talk-about-me things. He had a pretty complicated relationship with the city of Philadelphia and its fans, as evidenced by this quote. Philadelphia is the only city where you can experience the thrill of victory and the agony of reading about it the next day. But stick around. When we're done in our conversation, you're going to get a chance to hear his part of a Hall of Fame speech that will set the record straight about how we look back on his time in a city that will tell you how you are doing on a day-to-day basis. And if you think he didn't care what they thought, well, here's one more from Mike. And I quote, You're trying your damnedest. You strike out and they boo you. I acted like it didn't bother me, like I didn't hear anything the fans said. But the truth is I heard every word and it killed me. Mike Schmidt was a great athlete, a great athlete who had both knees operated on before he got his high school diploma. And these were 1960s knee surgeries. The world doesn't invite that guy to the biggest of the dances. So you take your knees and their stitches to Ohio University as a walk-on. Mike will tell you about his evolution as a player, who he believes was the best pure hitting third baseman ever, and the best defensive third baseman as well. Why he didn't move to first base at the end, you'll be shocked, and the last All-Star game he got voted into. 
and what he hopes people said about his career back then and what they will say about his career for all time if it was up to him. And you will hear him talk about why he walked away, sobbing as he tried to explain it that day in San Diego in 1989, with more than a dozen years between that day and the day we spoke. Here he is, Michael Jack Schmidt. The 3-0 pitch. All of a sudden, I get an email from the Hall of Fame saying, hey, you had one more RBI than we thought you had. So I basically had to call Mike and tell Mike that I got one did more they RBI. The I think they did. <laughs> and they also said he's got one more than Mike Schmidt. <laughs> Here's Mike Smith. He's playing. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. How about that? That's got to be a record pitch. And Mike Smith has drilled his fourth. He is the greatest third baseman of all time. He is Mike Schmidt, and he does join us tonight on the program. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good, uh, Chris. Now, when you hear someone say the greatest third baseman of all time, truly, at this point, what's the first thing that maybe goes through your mind? Well, I think it's a heck of an honor. I'm flattered that uh, you said it, that people refer to me in that way. Um, I think maybe George Brett was probably the, the greatest pure hitter to ever play third base uh, in, in terms of actually um, – uh, you know, hitting for average, um, clutch hitting. I think Brooks Robinson was probably the greatest fielder. Although Scott Rowland right now is, uh, you know, if he can, if he can put a lot of time together in the next uh, six, seven, eight, nine years, uh, continue as he's going. Now uh, he has a chance to mm-hmm. be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, defensive third baseman ever. But of course, Brooks was that. You know, and I kind of look at myself as a combination of both of those things. Now, I, I've never asked you this, but the idea of 10 gold gloves, I know there's a lot of pride in what you did offensively and certainly what you did in a couple of postseason situations, but might it be a case made for the 10 gold gloves being something that you actually could be prouder of than all those other things? Oh, no, heck no, not really. Um, um, I had some great fielding years, but uh, I think it was so much a part of, of my game mm-hmm. that uh, – uh, you know, the defensive side of things, although, you know, I had an obligation to play good defense. I don't think, uh, uh, I think third base is a skill position or was a skill position in the years that I played, uh, especially with Carlton uh, pitching all the years that he pitched. Uh, a lot of activity at third base, the left side of the infield. Um, you know, I, I think my glove helped the team, but uh, by no means do I think I would ever be remembered as, um, you know, a defensive player, as a third baseman. Uh, Especially like Brooks Robinson is really known for being. But it is nice to add that 10 gold gloves to oh, anything yeah. anybody's resume. It, it might take you over the top in people's minds because it is about playing both sides of it. It is about having the bat. Yeah, it is about yeah, having I mean, the glove. That's all, part, that's all part of baseball. I guess what I'm saying is I just, I, I it, you know, when you look at the time I spent thinking about and, 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 and experimenting and studying and watching video, I don't think I ever watched myself once on video catch a ground ball but i know i spent 
thousands and thousands of hours uh, trying to figure out how to be a better hitter. And I don't think I once uh, remember myself uh, sleeping, uh, staying up late at night, thinking about uh, um, my defensive end of the mm-hmm. games. You know, almost all of my time was spent uh, mulling over the offensive side of the game. Mike, what about the idea that, you know, all of those hours that you spend, people sometimes talk about players being natural hitters. I don't know what's natural about hitting a baseball, especially when people are trying to fool you with a few different pitchers. But if you were going to rate yourself from a natural ability point of view and then maybe what you helped make yourself, where were you starting out on that scale of natural hitting ability? Well, I think I, had, I was a natural power hitter. Um, I think it was natural for me to pull the ball. It was natural for me to to use my top hand in such a way that my bat speed uh, was accentuated. Um, I think I was a guy that didn't need uh, the ball right down the middle to hit it out of the ballpark. But I don't think I, – I always consider myself, up until the last couple of years of my career, a dangerous hitter. Mm-hmm. And dangerous hitter is not necessarily what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a complete hitter. You know, I wanted to hit like George Brett but still hit home runs. Um, and now in today's game, you know, the game they're playing out there today, um, they're really, you know, there's some hitters that do have the combination of myself and Brett. You know, Alex Rodriguez is Manny Ramirez guys at uh, Sheffield this year, um, the guys that hit home runs, they hit them in you know, 35 to, to 55 uh, range, and they hit well into the 300s. You know, they're 175 to 200 hit a year guys. Um, I know it's an offensive-oriented game now, but, but uh, you know, that's a complete hitter, a guy that can hit home runs to all fields and guys productive, a guy that's a, a complete hitter and a tough hitter in clutch situations, two outs and a man on second, all you need is a single. Uh, I wasn't until the last couple of years of my career a hitter that I would consider a good clutch hitter. And uh, I was a dangerous hitter. Um, and I look around the league now and I see a lot of dangerous hitters. I see a lot of 150 strikeout a year guys. And, and uh, you know, that's the kind of hitter I was most of my career. And that's the kind of hitter that I wanted to work away from being. I wanted to work into more of a complete hitter. What about coming out of high school? Uh, I know you you do go to college, but was there talk about you possibly getting drafted, or were you even drafted out of high school? None. No talk at all, Chris. I was uh, uh, not drafted, not scouted. I went to Ohio University, tried out for the team, the freshman baseball team at Ohio University, made the freshman team, and I wasn't on scholarship. Uh, I didn't even know I was alive. <laughs> and you went to, I guess, in theory, become an architect, correct? That's exactly right. I went to Ohio University to study architecture. Um and I said I had a couple of knee operations at a young age, and physically I wasn't able to keep up with the, most of the kids that I played with. Uh, I actually was a better basketball player than baseball player. I guess the good Lord had a plan for my life. I made a uh, made the baseball team down there, and then I made the varsity baseball team and became an All-American player, and they started to scout me a little bit and ended up being drafted by the Phillies. Do you remember what it's like to know that a scout is actually in the stands for the first time taking a look at you? Absolutely. Oh, God, what a, what a thrill that was uh, to know that they knew you were alive, to know that uh, there were people that thought you had, uh, uh, that you were a professional prospect. And uh, I guess that happened to me oh, at some point in my sophomore year in college, maybe my junior year in college, but man, I had no, no chance up until that point. What kind of high school player were you? All or nothing, strikeout, home mm-hmm. run. Um, um, once again, uh, you know, you asked me about being a natural hitter. Well, you know, I was a natural hitter, but I couldn't hit a breaking ball. I couldn't hit the ball to right field. I couldn't hit it up the middle. I could basically pull it for home runs. It was about 
You know, I was kind of like a Dave Kingman in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and look what you turn out to be. I think the greatest third baseman of all time. Now, Well, uh, you know, that, there's something about that. I mean, it's yeah. a minor miracle as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I don't know. I had uh, had the will to, to, to work and experiment and, and practice and study and uh, change and adjust. You know, those last couple things I mentioned uh, uh, were the keys to my career, the, the ability to, to – to figure yourself out and, and to want to change and adjust and, and figure out a way to do it uh, better than you're doing it. And uh, I get I get accused maybe of uh, of, of changing too much of uh, of uh, you know not allowing my natural ability to flow uh, as much as I should have. But I was always looking for um, ways to be better. And uh, I think that was probably one of the reasons I ended up in the Hall of Fame. Mike, I've been fortunate enough on the show to talk to people who literally started their major league careers in the '30s right on up to the guys who are playing today. It's a little different, obviously, when the scouts came back then before the draft, but most times we get around to the conversation that takes place right around the kitchen table when it comes time to actually now say, I'm going to be a professional in a couple of minutes once I sign that piece of paper. What was that process like for you and your family? Well, it was pretty neat. I got drafted in the second round by the Phillies. Um, a scout by the name of Tony Lucadello who has gotten some um, um, uh, notoriety over his, actually over his death. And this is a guy that a book was written about. He actually shot himself at home plate on a, at a minor league field uh, many, many, many years ago. He signed Ferguson, Jenkins, Larry Heisel. Uh, he, he was a scout in the Midwest, uh, Ohio area. He drove his uh, car to our house, opened his trunk up, brought a typewriter and a contract into our living room. My father was my representative so to speak when didn't have an agent back in those days and so we're prepared to offer mike twenty five thousand dollars if he'll sign this contract right now and of course my father said uh no you know he he, he was holding out for uh you know something in the fifty sixty thousand dollar range as a signing bonus and we actually um um worked tony up to thirty seven five uh he, he'd go out in his car and go back to the hotel, call Paul Owens, and then they come back to the house, and they go through it again. And finally, finally he came back and said, you know, if Michael signed his contract for 37-5, he can come to Philadelphia this weekend and sign it and work out with a big club against the San Francisco Giants, and then we'll assign him to, you know, to the team he's going to play for. So we heard we could go to Philadelphia and put on a big league uniform. Uh, we, we believe it would be best for me to get out and play minor league baseball and stop haggling over a few thousand bucks. So I signed for $35,000. It was one of the biggest days of my life. I can imagine. What do you do on a night like that, by the way? I, you know, it's really funny. A guy like you, you get to celebrate many things. You get to celebrate MVP seasons, and you, you get to celebrate a World Series the night you hit 500 homers. How does that night that you signed that first contract maybe compare to those others? I don't know about that night, but the next day I went down to the Chevrolet dealership in town and bought a Corvette. <laughs> so you were going to be a big league. Corvette back in those days cost $7,500. So you knew what you wanted, and you said it's time to be a big leaguer from pretty much day two. Yeah, I, knew, I wanted a new car. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, uh, but, but uh, you know, we, we go through these periods of our lives where we have days we'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, you mentioned a couple of them, and uh, that, 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 of course, is a day I'll never forget. Mike, what about the minor league experience for you? Because you're not really there very long. And No, I went to my, I went to Reading, Pennsylvania. I played a half a year there, got promoted to AAA the next year, played a full year in AAA. And then, um, of course, the Phillies weren't a very good team back then, and I got, I got promoted to the major leagues the following year. 1973 was my first year. And one of those days that people always talk about as well, that first day that you get to put on the big league uniform and you know, 
my goodness, I might actually play in this game today. Yeah, that's right. I got called up at the end of the 1972 season, and uh, um, I got about what 20, 25 at bats. I remember hitting my first home run, and, uh, and then I and then I went to winter ball that year and uh, made the club in '73. Had a horrendous year in 1973, but uh, I was in a big league uniform. And you know, I, I know you actually hit below 200, but you hit a bunch of home runs, and you go to winter league ball. And is there not? I don't want to call it an epiphany, but is there a light that goes on maybe because the right coaches are around you for that period? Yeah, those was, was a, a very important two years of my life. Well, the, the two winters I spent down in uh, in Puerto Rico playing in the, in the Puerto Rican league, uh, um, I actually learned that I didn't have to swing uh, as hard as I can at every pitch. I learned how to hit the ball to right field, learned how to use the whole field, uh, gained some confidence, and uh, finally then in 1974, I actually started uh, a run of uh, oh, 74, 84, about 15 years of pretty darn productive baseball. Yeah, pretty darn productive enough to make your first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, people talk about the differences in the games and whether they talk about ballparks, whether they talk about the baseballs, pitching itself. When you're a young guy and you're starting to hit some veterans and you're taking them deep, you know, there's a couple of ways you could do it. You put your head down and you run around the bases and you go about your business or else you're going to get drilled. Was there ever a guy who maybe took a little more exception to you as a young guy, maybe taking them deep? I don't know whether you're alluding to Bob Gibson or not. I might be. He's a guy that a lot of people, uh, <laughs> he took exception to a lot of people, I think, during uh, his career. You know, in, in, in those days, um, there was uh, more of a sense of respect in the game uh, than there is now. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more standing at home play, watching your mm-hmm. home runs, flipping your bats, uh, uh, you know, I've seen Barry Bonds. Uh, I think I saw. Did I see him do a, a full 360-degree pirouette? He pirouetted one time. Yeah, he did. Um, those things were unheard of uh, 20 years ago, uh, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, that would incite a brawl on the field for sure. And um, you know, players back uh, in, in in my day, uh, and more so 10, 15 years before me. Uh, you know, they were. They were trying to make a living, uh, the hitters and the pitchers, and pitchers believed that uh, the outer third of the play was theirs, and if they made a mistake on the inner two-thirds and, you know, it got hit uh, 400 feet, uh, that was their, you know, that, that that was their fault. But if a guy reached out over the plate and drove a ball to right center field 400 feet, I guarantee you that guy was going on his back the next time up because that pitcher needed that outer third of the plate to make a living. And... Uh, that's not necessarily the mentality. Of course, the rules of the game game have changed a mm-hmm. little bit, but you know that's not the mentality by which the game's played nowadays. Mike, when you come up, the Phillies are not a good team, but when it does start to turn around, you know I've had guys say, "Hey, it's my job. I go to the ballpark. It doesn't matter what the record is." But once it gets better, I'd imagine that drive to the ballpark becomes a little bit quicker, and that idea of what might happen tonight really just maybe takes it up a couple of notches. Yeah, from 1975, 6, 7, 8, 9, 80, 81, uh, there was about a 10-year run there where Philadelphia was a great place to play baseball. Uh, we had uh, great potential. We, we were in the thick of things in the playoffs, postseason, uh, most of the time, uh, at least in the divisional races every year. Uh, it wasn't until after the 83 season where the, the, they tore the Phillies apart mm-hmm. uh, and kind of like started with a uh, you know a real young team and uh, rebuilt the organization. So yeah, it, it was a lot of fun playing there in the, in the mid seventies and mid eighties. And what about that first trip to the World Series? 
Well, in 19, uh, yeah, 1980, we finally overcame the Houston Astros in a great series out there, and they ended up playing the Royals. Everything you'd hoped, everything you expected, a little bit more maybe even? Well, I would say so. Uh, it was sort of like a, queen, a clean sweep for me individually with the individual honors. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we had a lot of guys on the team that uh, had great World Series uh, performances. Uh, several of the guys could have been the MVP in the World Series. Uh, somehow I got the award. Um, a lot of guys had good years that year. Uh, you know, you, you always remember that year where you win as a team. Mike, last thing, I know you got to run. Um, from a 15, 20 years, 25 years down the road, if you want people talking about you, how do you want them to talk about you? Overall game, anything. If you just say there's going to be a conversation amongst baseball fans 20 or 25 years from now, what are you hoping they're saying about Mike Schmidt? I guess that, you know, if they're baseball people, I want people to remember me as a gamer. Um, and, you know, the term gamer um, is a flattering term. It's a um, it's a great uh, compliment to get from other players, from baseball people. That means I was a guy that, you know, that played every day. You count on me for 155 to 162 games a year. Um, you know, I didn't duck pitchers. I wasn't rested when Nolan Ryan was on the mound. I was out there every day getting after it, I knew how to play the game, and, uh, you know, I knew how to win. And uh, um, even though I'll be known always as a power hitter, uh, to me the most important thing would be to be known as a complete player who knew what it took to win. And, Mike, you did something that's real different. I mean, you retire the way that you did in the middle of a season, and um, I don't know how long you wrestled with that, but the idea that you did it that way instead of the world tour, instead of the, well, maybe it'll come back around in June. Can I just ask how long did you wrestle and – was it almost comforting to yourself to make that decision that you were going to make that announcement? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, I made that decision like I make most of the decisions in my life. Um, I committed to uh, my position um, as it related to uh, my my on-field performance. Uh, I, I, I truly felt that I was declining as a player. I was tired of traveling. I was tired of, tired of room service, tired of... Uh, uh, being away from my family, uh, I, I had other aspirations in life. I wanted to get get to it, you know the second stage of my life. And uh, once again, I think the fact that the Phillies weren't a contending team, that they were rebuilding, and I was the oldest guy in, on the team, and um, we really didn't have a chance to win the division uh, back in uh, '89, '90, and they, they they regrouped and did started to do well in the early '90s. Uh, after a few trades, Dykes, Redalt, mm-hmm. Truck, and those guys came over. But from uh, 1987, 88, 89, uh, in those years, uh, the Phillies were a second division team. And and uh, I just felt it was time for me to get out of their way and uh, for me to get out of the game. And uh, uh, a tough transition, but it was one that I glad, I'm glad that I made the way I made it. Well, what's amazing to me is Mark McGuire talked about almost getting out in 90 or 91. Uh, Nolan Ryan told me the other night in 70 and 71, he had conversations with his wife that he was going to get out. Now, they were younger, certainly, than you were at that point. But did you have those moments at night where you said, boy, tonight I feel pretty good. I might actually cause a little damage if I was back on the field tonight. Uh, no, no. Um, I was coming off of shoulder surgery um, um, that previous winter, and uh, I really didn't have arm strength to play third base. They had Ricky Jordan playing first base. Had they moved me to first base, I probably would have finished the year and mm-hmm. maybe, who knows, maybe going on and played another couple of years. But I couldn't play third base any longer, and Ricky Jordan was pretty solid as their young first baseman. And 
it really wasn't a place for me on the ball club. I, you know, I'm not saying that I would have been a flop the whole year. I was in a bit of a slump when I retired, and and I probably would have figured out a way to hit 25 home runs and uh, you know drive in 85 or 90 or whatever uh, as the year went on. But um, I had just I was suffering from burnout. I really was, and I don't think it was as much as my lack of uh, performance on the field and decli- declining performance as it was uh, just being. Uh, Washed, washed out with the game. Well, maybe as big a tribute as anything you've accomplished and the things people have said about you, they vote you to start in that All-Star game that year. Yeah, they did. That was that was a hell of an honor, uh, having been retired and uh, you know getting introduced at the All-Star game as, as the leading vote-getter at third base. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was a cool thing. All right, Mike, listen, uh, golf game going well? Yeah, Chris, we're up playing in the Mario Lemieux tournament in Pittsburgh right now. Well, fantastic. Listen, I know I appreciate your time. I know you don't do a lot of these. Hit them straight, hit them far. Is this, is this part of the CPT, or is it? Yes, it is. Well, good for you. Good luck. How are you doing on the tour? Uh, well, it's my first one this year. They've had three, and uh, this is the first one I've been able to play in. Well, hit them long, hit them straight. Mike, again, appreciate your time tonight. Some 18 years ago, I left Dayton, Ohio, with two very bad knees and a dream to become a Major League Baseball player. With that, the man who's worn number 20 for 17 years had to walk away. However, he leaves behind some impressive numbers. 548 home runs, 10 Golden Glove and 3 MVP awards. Numbers sure to get Mike Schmidt into the Hall of Fame. Here's the greatest third baseman that ever played the game. My relationship with Philadelphia fans has always been misunderstood. Can we put that to rest here today? If I had it to do all over again, I'd do it in Philly. Are there any kids out there? To the young kids out there, I want to say one thing. Never stop chasing your dreams. He rips it to left. It hits a foul pole, two-run homer for Mike Schmidt. Fifteen more to Ty Reggie. Sixteen to go ahead of it. Your dreams are your best motivators. My career is an example of how you can beat the odds. How someone's dreams can come true. You realize what being in the Hall of Fame means? It means your life and your career have been immortalized. They'll be remembered forever. I said to him, does that mean I'm immortal? He said, no, Mike, it means your name is immortalized. There is a difference. I watched you as a child. I celebrated with you and suffered with you. You are a true man of class and faith and always considered you an inspiration. God bless you. 